Why do you want to fight? This is the fight game with Demond Cotton. Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the fight game with Demond Cotton. I am your host, Demond Cotton, and man, there is so much to talk about today. Man, you just hate that the show's the only once a week because, man, I could go on and on. We've got news in boxing. We've got news in MMA. And boy, do we definitely have news in professional wrestling. Johnny Gargano's back. Johnny Wrestling. There's a new UFC welterweight champion of the world and still someone remaining as the heavyweight champion in the world in boxing. So much to get into today. I'm glad you're joining me here on the show. You can tweet at me and be involved on the show at Demon underscore the boss and the station account at 1230 the game if you'd like to get in contact and interact throughout the show. And I mentioned it there in the open. I'm just going to start with WWE because this past Monday night on Monday Night Raw, Triple H has the pin and we see it working to its fullest extent now with Johnny Gargano coming back. I know I could break down the card. Hey, if you didn't watch Monday Night Raw, I'm not going to give you a blow by blow recap of what happened on Monday night. I'm not going to do it. I would love to. I would love to, but I'm just not going to do it. I would just want to start off midway through the show. Towards the last hour, three hour Raw, you've got... A tag team match, a classic tag team match. The Miz and Champa against AJ Styles, Bobby Lashley. A little Dexter Loomis action towards the end of the match. The Miz gets kidnapped. We'll see what happens there. We'll see where that story leads to because I love me some Dexter Loomis as well. Another guy that Triple H has brought back. But you come back from the commercial break and maybe it's nothing nondescript. Hey, this might be a second where you tune out because you know the main event's coming up. It's Edge in Toronto. Edge versus Damian Priest. Edge's first time wrestling in front of the hometown fans in such a long time. So you know that, hey, there's going to be a little bit of a buffer before the main event. So this is probably time to get some popcorn. Who knows what's going to be coming up before the main event. But then the music hits. And yes, the return of Johnny Wrestling, Johnny Gargano, one of the members of NXT Black and Gold, the heart and soul of NXT. Johnny Gargano returns to WWE after nine months off. But not only nine months off of will he go to AEW, is he retiring from wrestling altogether? Does he enjoy being a father so much that, hey, he's done with professional wrestling? Triple H now taking over WWE brings in one of his guys. We all hear that phrase a lot, Triple H's guys, but you bring in Johnny Gargano and you think, hey, Toronto, is he a big enough star? That is one of the things that you always wonder about that jump from NXT to WWE. Does this guy actually have that cachet to prove that he's a star on the main roster? Once you leave the Performance Center down in Florida, can this guy prove, can he attract that mainstream audience? Because we all know WWE professional wrestling, it's a global brand. But he proved that coming out in Toronto, there was a little bit of could it be, could it be? Because we've all been worked before to the point where someone's music hits and they're not coming out. And it's all just one big ruse. But the crowd gives them a standing ovation. I looked at the YouTube numbers just under half a million in two days. 
Johnny Gargano's back. Johnny Wrestling is back in WWE, and I'm excited to say it. And he's looking like a star position. Cuts a great promo, thanking the fans. He's excited to be back. And Austin Theory, former member of The Way with him in NXT, Mr. Money in the Bank comes out, and now you've got a feud. Just like that, Johnny Gargano hits a super kick to Austin Theory, and now we've got a feud that may involve the Money in the Bank briefcase. Just like that, these are some of the things that, with Triple H in charge, you're just thinking, WWE can't miss. Can't miss. Everything that they're shooting to me, it's a bucket. It's good. Cannot miss. And now I'll go into the main event. Edge defeats Damian Priest. And of course, there's chicanery after the match. But I think this was one for Edge after the match. You don't see this off air, but everything gets out to the fans, of course, now with social media. He's thanking the fans. He's saying next year around in Toronto, it's going to be his last time because he's going to be retiring. I think he only signed a three-year deal coming back off of that neck injury. But he puts on a barn burner with Damian Priest. And for those of you who know the wrestling moves, know the terminology, he busts out a Canadian destroyer in Toronto. Now, that's a move there that even I wouldn't like to do. But you've got Edge at, what is it, 45 years old, hitting a Canadian destroyer on Damian Priest in the main event of Monday Night Raw? Wow. Phenomenal. So phenomenal that I forgot to give you the guest that we have up on the show today. At 12.15, in just about 10 minutes, we're going to be talking to Sam Gordon. And then at 12.30, we're going to be talking to RJ Clifford about UFC 278 that just took place. I mean, just such a great night of wrestling on Monday that I had to start with that there. But yes, yeah, Sam Gordon from the Review Journal at 12.15. We're going to be breaking down Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua for the heavyweight championship of the world. And then coming up at 12.30, RJ Clifford is going to be joining us to talk about UFC 278, break down the fights there. He's also a big Raider fan, a little connection there with me as I do work on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. Don't check it out. 2 to 5, Monday through Friday. You can listen to me on Unnecessary Roughness with Q Myers. If you're also just listening because you want to just be support the show, if you're not a fight fan and you're listening to the show, thank you. But if you want to listen to me talk about a little football, you can do that Monday through Friday on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. But let's go back WWE because the week of professional wrestling, I know we're on Thursdays, and I know when I take you back to Friday Night SmackDown, it may be a little much. Two weeks ago, Hit Row comes back. And you're thinking, hey, Hit Row, they brought these guys back. Triple H is just bringing back everyone who didn't get a fair shake with Vince McMahon after they came up from NXT. And it's all good. Hit Row has a squash match. You've got Adrian Adonis. You've got Top Dollar, B-Fab. And yeah, they rapping. I mean, a lot of things that I've seen on the internet has been funny. Where people, the internet is a funny place. Where people just say, hey man, they're good. I like the gimmick. You know, wrestling rappers. But the gear isn't fresh enough. Saw somebody say, yo, those outfits look like they're from City Trends. Yes, that cracked me up. But it's just so, you're happy that they bring back this act. This act did not get a fair shake. But there's always something to nitpick on the internet. And you gotta love it. You gotta love the internet. And then... The OG3, as they call themselves. Top Dollar, he's putting on a show this past Friday in the, in the ring. And not a wrestling performance, no. He's rapping. Hit Row, we get a rapping performance. And people were not feeling it. And also, I think it's because they tried to put in it, they tried to make it like an actual performance. They were actually performing a song. 
when the acclaimed from AEW come out and they rap. It's bars that you can follow along with. It's bars meant for a TV audience where you get the punchline in, you let the crowd absorb it so they can get their oohs and ahs. And yes, they're not rapping, but these aren't actual bars. They're just setups and punchlines. When you actually try to rap for a wrestling audience, it's not going to go over that well. Got to think about the audience first. People came to see a wrestling show, not a hardcore hip-hop show, not, not real hip-hop, hip-hop. So that's a little, a little point where they missed the mark there with Hit Row. But I do want to see what they do going forward because I do like all the talent in the ring. But man, just got to cut it out with the rapping and also on Friday Night Smackdown this past Friday. Up in Montreal, Canada. Sami Zayn can do no wrong. The honorary oos. Jimmy and Jay were not able to make the trip up to Montreal. So who had to watch the Tribal Chiefs back? Sami Zayn. And I just love any storyline in wrestling where you have the guy who will do anything to suck up to the champ. And that's what Sami Zayn's doing. He gets an audience with the tribal chief, Roman Reigns. He's even, he even answers his phone. The beef that he has with the Usos a little bit. With Jimmy and Jay. One's his friend, one's his not. Or Sami Zayn, he goes out there and he gets the babyface pop of the century. In Montreal, even though he has been healing it up for well over a year now, when you come to the hometown, there's nothing like the hometown pop for a wrestler. And Sami Zayn gets that without a doubt in Montreal, the number one contenders match for the Intercontinental Championship that's going to take place at Clash of Champions over in the UK later next month. So there's just so many good elements going on with WWE right now. We had Evan Mack on the show a few weeks ago, and he mentioned that phrase, crockpot booking, and I've loved it ever since because, you know, some things just got to be slow. It's got to be slow, and I think we're, we're going towards a Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn versus the Bloodline feud. And, man, like I said, it's going to be slow. It's going to be a slow build, but Roman Reigns needs new challengers, and Kevin Owens, I know they feuded early when he had this Universal Championship on SmackDown. But let's run it back. KO's out here. He's a new man. Took out both members of the Alpha Academy on Monday. Last Monday, takes out a Ezekiel, the brother of Elias, who is not Elias. So maybe we'll see Elias come back. Maybe WWE just tells him, hey, Kevin Owens is going to break your back on Monday. Go home. Grow out the beard. Bring the guitar back. You're Elias again. I think that's what I would like to see and what all the fans in WWE would like to see from Elias. Now, you got the new KO back. He's bringing back the retro tease from his NXT era. So I just love that they're infusing more NXT talent and more of what you saw in the developmental system in WWE up to the main roster. And that's all thanks to Triple H. We were all a little hesitant and shaky when Vince McMahon left, but... There have been good things to see in WWE so far, and I'm going to continue to watch because professional wrestling has never been hotter than what it is right now. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal to talk a little boxing. Anthony Joshua was not able to get the job done against Alexander Usyk this past Saturday, put on a good performance, but still just didn't have what it takes to get the win as he was outclassed again, if you ask me. Some questionable scoring on the judge's card from one judge. And, you know, they always say in boxing, it's a little rigged. It's a little fixed. Some of these judges, they're on the books. One judge on Saturday 
proved him right just a little bit. Or how do you have that fight that close? How do you have Joshua winning that fight on your card? We're going to get into it with Sam Gordon next on The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to The Fight Game with Iman Cotton. And welcome back to The Fight Game here on 1230 The Game. I'm pleased to introduce my next guest, Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Sam, what's going on, my man? Damon, how you doing? Appreciate you having me. Happy Thursday. Man, happy Thursday to you as well, man. And let's just get straight into it. Anthony Joshua, you were on Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio last week, and I had to ask you about it. Get your opinions on it before the fight. Now that the fight's actually happened, what were your thoughts of what you saw? Yeah, Damon, I'm, I'm not... It, it played out pretty much exactly how I thought it was going to play out. I, I thought you saw some adjustments from AJ, uh, a little more head movement early on, just a little more patience, a um, little more rhythm, a little more pressure, I think, early in the fight. Uh, working the body, I think that was a, a big adjustment that he made, is, you know, going to the body. He had a little bit of success in the first fight to the body, and I thought you definitely saw him target that more, uh, especially early on. But Usyk is one of the greatest fighters uh, of his generation. There's no other way to put it. Um, when you talk about the footwork, the, uh, the craft, just the different angles he's able to come from. You saw him use the up jab to get inside. And once he's developed a rhythm, I thought, in the third, fourth rounds, it was really smooth sailing um, from there. I thought he was able to really take control uh, of the middle rounds. I, I think A.J. with a nice push in the ninth round, he had Usyk hurt to the body a little bit, and that was the best round he had in either of the two fights. But like a true champion does, in the tenth, Usyk with a full-on, you know, just a full-on, he emptied the tank right back and was able to, to seize control of the fight. And with a 10th round for the ages, he, out, he outlands AJ, uh, I believe it was 79-20, over the final three rounds. He was really, really able to, once he was able to, to kind of regain control in the 10th, I thought he was really poised and professional with how he put him away in the 11th to 12th rounds. He didn't dance around. He wasn't comfortable in the 12th round, even though he knew likely uh, that he had the decision secured. Uh, it was a strong, sharp, excellent performance. AJ was better. Uh, but Usyk is just in another class, and, and that ultimately was what it came down to. It's, it's exactly what I expected. Uh, there was, I think, opportunities for AJ to, to, to close the show uh, in the fight, but he's just not that refined. He, you know, he doesn't set up shots the same way uh, mm-hmm. a Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder does and was never, never able to land the big one. Usyk, too good defensively, too skilled, and you know, the unified heavyweight champion of the world, again, after a really impressive title defense. I want to go back to that ninth round there because that was when Anthony Joshua, like you said, that was his best round in either of the two fights. But after that, do you think that he emptied the tank? And instead of, let's say, being Luke Rockhold in the UFC, as we saw at 278, of just huffing and puffing like, yo, we could tell he was gassed, that Anthony Joshua just tried to reserve his stamina and just make it through the fight rather than emptying the tank because we could tell he was tired. But I think that he left something on the table there. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think, you know, maybe in the 12th round, you would have liked to see a little bit more urgency. But, you know, he, like you said, I think he used a lot of energy in that ninth round. And from a psychological standpoint, where you do hurt Usyk a little bit to the body, I think Usyk, you know, was, at times, did just try and buy himself a few seconds to recover a little more because of the pressure AJ was applying and because of the work he was doing to the body. But that, I do think it took a lot out of AJ. And I think from a psychological standpoint, Usyk knew. Like, he absorbed AJ's best round. He took his best shot uh, and was still standing. Uh, again, he was hurt you know, to a degree, but he was never really wobbled or in danger of being like stop-stop for real. So with that in mind, I think he was able kind of to refocus uh, and go out there and seize control again in the 10th. And he was just so poised and precise. It was such a momentum shift. Just 
the polar opposites, the round that A.J. had in the ninth and the round that Usyk had in the tenth, um, I, I do think A.J. Was, was spent a little bit. But, again, um, this is your career. This is your legacy that was on the line in the twelfth. I, I, I thought Usyk fought that round with urgency, and I think that was important, you know, because it was a little closer on the cards. I think you had a 115-113 score. <laughs> we're going to talk about I that. Felt, huh? I, yeah, I smelled a fish, Demond. You know how A.J. is with the judges. Like, I, I sense there would be some favorable scoring there, and Glenn Feldman definitely had a bad night, but – what I, what I say that to say, Usyk tried to win the 12th round. He, he was more poised, he was more precise, and he was the more urgent fighter in the 12th round, even though he was winning the fight and had a lead and you know, knew that he should have comfortably gone to the cards as the winner. So um, I, it, was, it, was, it was a nice rally by AJ, but again, just not enough, just one step short. And, and I think that's starting to be, um, that's the story of his career up to this point. Is, you know, it's all there, the tools, the charisma, the talent, the ability, and just... When push comes to shove, when you're really in the tr- in the trenches, he just doesn't have what these other guys have at the top level. Again, we're joined by Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal. And speaking of legacies, Usyk, come winning this fight. We all know what's going on in the Ukraine. To put that aside, to come out, we knew that he was the better fighter. But hey, you still have to go in there and win the fight. But you know, doing it with a heavy heart, I'm sure of it. What does that say about his legacy to win this fight? What's going on with what's going on in the home country? I mean, I think it's huge, Damon. I think he was already, you kind of take a look at his body of work, already a kind of a no-doubt about it, first-time, first-ballot Hall of Fame-type dude. He was an Olympic gold medalist in 2012, the same year as AJ. He, of course, was the undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world, winning the, you know, one of those box-off tournaments to, to capture all the belts. He's always been a road warrior. You take a look kind of at where he fought his fight. He's always going in, into, the, into the home country of the, of the opposing champion. Like, like take the AJ fight, for example, the first one, he goes into Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in front of 75,000 75, AJ's fans and silences them. I mean, this is the ultimate, you know, I guess, warrior. Just a, a dude that, you know, knows who he is, know what, knows what he represents, and then in this fight in particular, knows what and, and who he's fighting for. And I know it sounds, a, you know, kind of cliche or whatever, but I don't think that was the case at this time. You, this really meant more uh, than just a fight to Alexander Usyk. And what you saw, I think, down the stretch, those last few rounds, that tenth round in particular, and again in the twelfth, because you saw a dude fighting with with, with the, that kind that sense of pride, the, the pride of a former undisputed champion, the pride of a unified champion, and the pride of one of the superstar athletes and great representatives of the Ukraine. So um, he, it was definitely a, you know, another legacy defining performance for him, and um, I'm really happy to see him more on the mainstream stage because he is such a supreme talent, and you know one of the best boxers in the world, and. Fights with uh, Anthony Joshua, and it's a credit to AJ Starr. Um, fights with AJ and, and performing like that against AJ is a way to boost your profile. And now I, I think you got to look at him as one of the definitive fighters uh, of this generation in this era, for sure. All right, so you mentioned on one of the cards AJ was winning, and like we you both you said, there's a fish. I don't know what's going on. How can you even give him the twelfth round? Like giving him the twelfth round, maybe I'll give you eight nine. I'll give you. Four rounds at most, if you wanted sure. to see it that way. But AJ, at the end of the fight, let's just talk like it's just you and me. The promo that he put on, like it was professional wrestling. What did you think of that? Because I said, I tweeted like somebody take the mic, cut the mic. What's he going on about? What do you think about that? You know, I, I think um, it was tough to watch. I mean, just it was it was tough to watch, Demond. I You know, it was. I think certainly to a degree unsportsmanlike, but but at the same time. Um, I, I feel for Anthony Joshua. This was this was a career-defining fight. This was a legacy-defining fight in a lot of ways. And, and his his promo and just kind of his behavior. I think you saw him throw the belt out of the ring at one point. This was a guy who was realizing in real time that his career 
um, was never going to be the same, that he was never going to be the definitive fighter of this era, the definitive heavyweight of this era, that the, the promise um, that he's had, you know what I'm saying, throughout the course of his boxing career, uh, since he was an Olympic gold medalist, it's, it's just going to go unfulfilled. Um, that's the reality of it. He's not the best fighter of his generation, and it's, there's just some guys you can't beat, and Usyk is one of those guys. So I, I think you saw a guy with the weight of kind of the world on his shoulders, the weight of an entire country, um, carrying the U.K. and representing, a, you know, uh, British boxing for the last 10 years at, at the highest of levels with a lot of class and with a lot of dignity. I think he was just under, he unraveled in real time under the pressure of everything. So I do want to grant, grant him some grace. I'm not, it wasn't a great look. I'm, I'm definitely, you know, I'm not going to disagree with anybody who says that, but he's a human being at the end of the day. And, and, and I, I did see him, you know, I thought it was nice that he followed up on social media with a, with a real congratulations to Usyk and, and, you know, make, make sure that the, the, under, the un, uh, unified champion had his day in the sun. But, this is really a, um, you know, that this. I think this begets the next question, Demond, is what becomes of Anthony Joshua? Well, where does he go from here? I think now you have to go through a rebuild. Um, I expect him to take a, you know, a kind of uh, comeback fight against somebody, you know, a lower level guy to build his confidence back up and, and then see what fights materialize. I think something against the Deontay Wilder would still be massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Ruiz, Andy Ruiz three, I think would be interesting. I mean, there are opponents out there. That, that, that are high level for him, but in terms of being the definitive heavyweight of your generation and the superstar of the era, you're commercially sure, but, but in the ring, no. And, that, and, and that, that, I think, is what the outburst was reflective of. All right, again, we're talking to Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Sam, last one for you here. So what's going to be next? Are we going to see Usyk versus Tyson Fury for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world? Yeah, I think we are going to see it get done, DeMond. And, 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 you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be all about dollars and all about you know, finding the right deal um, for Tyson Fury. He's at the point where, you know, he's done the retire and unretire thing over and over. Now we see there's a, a Netflix docuseries coming out that's going to, you know, chronicle his life. So maybe that's part of the, you know, kind of the retirement thing. But at the end of the day, you know, he is, I mean, he's defined, he, he know he, he is a, a proud fighter. That, that's just what he is. And a, a fight against Usyk would not only be a, a chance to capture a massive payday, but uh, he would be the first, I believe, the first heavyweight champion in the four, uh, undisputed heavyweight champion in the four belt era. So I do think it's going to happen at some point. I'm guessing the target date is probably going to be January or February. Um, you see, you know, Saudi Arabia paid massive site fee for Usyk Joshua. I'd expect something similar uh, for Fury uh, and, and Usyk. It's going to take a lot of money um, to get this fight done, but you are going to, I do think we're going to be able to crown an undisputed uh, heavyweight champion. And, and, and just, you know, on paper, stylistically, um, when you take a look at that matchup, you've definitely got to favor Fury, who isn't maybe not quite the boxer Usyk is, but, 6'9", 265, the box, the move, and he can bang, as we saw in both Deontay Wilder fights. So I hope we see it. I, I hope the, uh, the politics of boxing don't hold this one up because it would be awesome to see an undisputed heavyweight champion. Uh, so I do think that's, that we're going we're gonna to head that route and, and, or head that way. Uh, eventually, it's just about, all about you know, kind of the timing and seeing how these things work themselves out financially. All right, Sam, thank you for joining me here on the fight game. Love the insight. I mean, you're at the Review Journal. You do it all. I mean, boxing, UNLV. Aces, Raiders, what's next for you? What you got coming out next? Yeah, I mean, you know, we got college football season right around the corner, and Aces playoff, um, Aces playoffs are, are in full swing with the Seattle Storm uh, and the best of five WNBA semifinals. So I'll be, I'll be involved in a little bit of everything. Um, you can look for stuff for me with Aces, Raiders, and, of course, UNLV, man. So appreciate you having me, Damon. Um, of course, we got Triple G Canelo coming up September 17th. Can't wait for that one. Uh, I'll be something going on in Las Vegas, and happy to be on the show and happy to be part of it. Thank you so much. All right, thank you, man. Later.
And that was Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal. I mean, Triple G Canelo coming up. Can't wait for that one either. Definitely going to have him back on and chop it up about that as well. But when we come back, we're going to be talking to RJ Clifford from SiriusXM. This is the Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to the Fight Game. All right, we are back here on the Fight Game on 1230 The Game. And my next guest, RJ Clifford from SiriusXM Radio. By Nation. We're going to be breaking down UFC 278. So, RJ, thank you for joining me on the fight game. My pleasure. Anytime. All right. Now, you know, just 278. We know about the head kick around the world. Leon Edwards knocking out Kamaru Usman. But before we tap into the main event, what did you think about the card in general? Because for me, Salt Lake City was a weird place to have the card. And I think that the altitude affected a lot of the fighters. Yeah, there's a reason why they only had three fights above 155 pounds because the big boys like to gas out. They did, they did a card in Denver years ago. It has chock full of heavyweights. There's just a bunch of big, sweaty, fat dudes gassing out after the first round. So it's like, all right, we're not going to do this anymore. So, and even the, uh, and even the heavier weight class fights that they did, like Tyson Pedro versus Harry Huntingstalker, Pedro was a huge favorite. That was a first round finish. Mm-hmm. I think they were pretty high on Alexander Romanoff a heavyweight. They thought he'd finish Martin Tybura pretty quick. He didn't, so that kind of turned it into a slog. But yeah, like that's that's why they tried to do as many smaller weight classes as possible in this card because of the elevation and they didn't want guys gassing out. Yeah, and then Luke Rockhold. I mean, this fight here, I didn't know what to expect going in, but after Luke Rockhold, you know, gave that impassioned speech at, the, at Media Day about fighter pay and healthcare and things of that nature. I said, I don't know how much of a shot that he's got to win, but I'm definitely rooting for him. Was this the best worst fight you've ever seen? Yeah, I, I tweeted something like, if Derek Lewis was an MMA fight, this is what it would look like. Just kind <laughs> of just nothing but like guts, sweat, blood, uh, and no cardio. Just kind of, just kind of sloppy, but I, it was a weird one, right? Like you're intrigued, like you're at your, your butt's at the edge of your seat, not because you're going to, you know, take down notes on the X's and O's. It's because just the the fact that Luke Rockhold gassed in about three minutes and stuck it out for three whole rounds. It was it was bonkers, and of course he just went all uh, I don't know reverse vampire on Paulo Costa at the end. Yeah, with Paulo Costa though. For me, I know the elevation, the altitude, and he still went out there and won all three rounds, you know, got hit with a couple of big shots, but nothing that hurt him too bad. He even thought that he won the fight. We saw that twice on this pay-per-view here, but you couldn't finish Luke Rockhold, and I know that he's happy with his performance, but it just wasn't enough for me for me to think that he may be ready for Izzy again or a title shot, depending on what happens with Izzy and Perea. What do you think about Paulo Costa and his standing in the middleweight division? It's a weird spot. I don't think fighting a, uh, a Luke Rockhold coming off of a three-year layoff and then retiring and gassing in two minutes is any way to gauge where he is, right? Like, we really don't know where he is right now. And he had a long layoff as well, right? Like, he had almost a year mm-hmm. off um, since losing to Marvin Vittori. So, throw him back into Gen Pop, give him a top five middleweight, we'll find out then. And then the card, the fight before that, I almost forgot about it. Jose Aldo versus Marab. We see these guys at 135, but who was in his, who was in Marab's corner, the champion, Aljermaine Sterling. So what's going to be next? Because I don't know if the relationship is close enough to the, where these guys are consider themselves brother, but I know they're training partners. When I'm at the Apex for a fight, they're there together. So what do you think is going to be next for Morale? Because I don't think he's going to fight Aljo. Zero percent chance he fights Aljermaine Sterling. That was the first thing he said in the post-fight interview. Uh, and I believe him. So 
135, the top 135 is interesting. He'll be waiting, obviously, for TJ Dillashaw and Aljamain Sterling to throw down. If TJ wins, there's a good chance Marab is next. It will depend on if Sean O'Malley can beat Petriano. The UFC is obviously very high in O'Malley. If he beats Gian, they can't rush into a title fight fast enough. And you've got Cheeto Vera, of course, coming off of the knockout over Dominic Cruz. He probably still needs another win. But we can talk about him as a contender. So um, it's all kind of dependent on Sterling versus Dillashaw coming up. All right. So with, but let's just do a little speculation ahead of there. Who do you got winning that fight? Because I've got Aljamain I mean, Sterling. Al- I keep underestimating Aljamain Sterling, and I feel like I'm going to keep doing it. I mean, TJ Dillashaw... Um, He's just such. He's a better. He's a more credentialed wrestler than mm-hmm. Aljamain Sterling. Um, obviously, a more diversified striker. He just seems to have everything put together. I will say this though: Sterling has this uncanny ability that if you just if you have a mental slip for a split second, he's taking your back, and he may choke you out. Right? Um, you did it to Corey Sandhagen. He's done it. He's done it before. And we've seen TJ Dillashaw have a little mental slip up before, right? Getting knocked out the way he did um, against Enrich DeHudo and, and things like that. So I think it's going to be one of those fights where TJ Dillashaw controls most of the action, most of the fight. But can Algernon Sterling take advantage of one little slip up from, from Dillashaw and put him out? All right, now the main event at 278. Again, we're talking to RJ Clifford from SiriusXM and the Autumn Windbag Podcast. So, 278, we got to talk about it. The main event, Leon Edwards, Kamaru Usman. What did you think going into the fight? Did you think that Leon had a better chance? Because I knew he was a big underdog, but, you know, he still had the puncher's chance. I had both guys on the show preview the fight with both. And I thought that Leon Edwards, he felt that confidence that he could win. But you could see Dean Thomas, he even mentioned it on the fight that, hey, you, this guy doesn't have it anymore. He's looking dejected. Even his coach said it in some interviews since. So what did you think about going into the fight, Leon's chances? I thought, I thought not too bad. I think he was a plus 300 or so underdog. I thought it was a little steep. Um, obviously, Kamara Usman has just been, had been so dominant. He was knocking on the door of Anderson Silva's consecutive UFC win streak. He won't actually get that record. Kirstie Leon Edwards head kick. When you look at that, that finish and like we think how big of an upset it was, it wasn't that crazy of an upset before the fight. Like if you would have said before, hey, Leon Edwards is going to get the win, it'd be like, oh, you know, that's a pretty decent upset, but nothing too crazy. It was just how that upset came about. Like Dean, Dean Thomas took a lot of heat for saying like Leon Edwards looked like he was been checked out. Everyone thought that. He was just saying mm-hmm. what everyone was thinking. I mean, other than the first the first round where Leon Edwards got that takedown, it was it was 19 minutes of Usman in complete control doing whatever he wanted. And we've seen guys lose rounds. We've seen guys lose fights 50-45 on the scorecards, but still be active, still be dangerous, still be trying to win. Leon Edwards gave no sign of any of that. He was completely dejected and out of there. And it's not like he's some crazy knockout artist. That was only his third knockout ever in the UFC for him. So for him to come back the way that he did, the body language leaning in, plus Usman was number one pound for pound on so many rankings, that's what made it feel like such a giant upset. Not just what you see on the like tapology result, but the journey that went through it is what made it feel like such a special finish. Going into that fifth round where you hear his coach, you know, I'll do my best impersonation of the accent. Quit feeling sorry for yourself, Leon. You got to go out there and fight. So 
going into that, don't you, tell yourself short. That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I work on the British accent a lot. <laughs> um, but like when you when you hear that going into the fifth round, what were you expecting for that fifth round? Because I honestly expected Usman to just go out there, give us more of the same, work the body a little bit, and take him down. A minute left because you know you always see the people on Twitter because Twitter is great for the reaction of a knockout victory, especially when it's people who predicted they picked the winner it's like i knew it was going to happen just like this i don't even think leon would told you hey hey, i'm going to wait to the last minute and then i'm going to say i'm going to have him right where i want him in the last minute of the fight so what did you think of the kick and did uzman get a little too lazy because he kept pressing he kept pressing forward and didn't take his foot off the gas so i like what uzman said uh, to tmz about how he he threw a hail mare and he landed it which is true but not in the sense that it was fluky so uh, Anthony Smith, my co-host at SiriusXM, did a really good job this week breaking down how Leon Edwards, he has a very good head kick from the southpaw stance. That's one of his better weapons. He never used it in that fight up until that last minute. For 24 of the 25 minutes, he never used it. And he was setting it up. He was throwing that one-two and then the leg kick, and that got Usman thinking, all right, parry that with your hands, and then check the leg kick. Why are you throwing leg kicks in the fifth round of a fight where you're down three rounds to one? I mean, you're not going to be start. You're not going to be like gaining. You know, you're not going to chop him down when the fight's almost over. You're not going to win on points. You're only doing it to set up the head kick. So it was absolutely remarkable. It was a hail mary, but it was a well, it was a well game planned, well orchestrated hail mary by Leon Edwards. And again, it's not something that I think he he hoped to do or had to lean on, but he knew he had a head kick in his back pocket. He was setting it up all fight long, specifically all fifth round, and he got it. It was it was beautiful. So what do you think is going to be next for both fighters? Do we see an automatic rematch, or does some politics come involved here and maybe Leon Edwards' first defense for that welterweight championship is not against Usman? I can't imagine, barring some major injury to somebody, that they would do anything other than the trilogy. I mean, um, the, the U.K. and London specifically has been a big market for the UFC this year. Um, they broke all kinds of attendance records when they went to O2. Both times they went there. Patty Pimblett and Molly McCann being superstars out of England. Um, it's just a real big hotbed for him. And then now having another champion, only the second UFC champion ever behind Michael Bisping to be from the UK for the UFC. So, uh, and yeah, they got Usman. The UFC does a pretty good job generally about giving guys with long title reigns and like top pound for pound rankings, giving them a chance to get immediate rematches. This isn't even an immediate rematch. It's a trilogy. I, 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 and who else would step in? I mean, Jorge Masvidal has lost three of his last four, throwing his head in for no reason. I mean, it, it, it would be the UFC can't possibly screw this up doing this trilogy right away. Again, we're talking to RJ Clifford from Sirius XM. And something that you do that interests me, I know you're a former fighter. You've got the bona fides to talk about the fight game. But when you talk about fighting in video games, what's that like when Gameology brings you in and they're just like, hey, we just want you to break down the fights and how well and how realistic they look in video games? Yeah, it's kind of fun because. You know, obviously it's a video game, so I, I did one where I was like breaking down the techniques in Tekken. And it's like, all right, this guy's <laughs> uppercutting this dude 30 feet in the air, ripping his heart out with his fist, and then crapping on his corpse. It's like, all right, let me break this down a little bit. Here's how the uppercut works. And, and so you have like some fun tongue-in-cheek parts of it um, where you get just kind of like, all right, well, this is what it would look like. This is what they're trying to replicate of what would happen in a real fight, but they're making it in video game mode. So it's, you know, it's, it's fun to, to kind of just look at it in that term all right only a few more questions for you but i want to get your second interest in heart 
Raider Nation. I mean, I do unnecessary <laughs> roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. But I want to get your thoughts. I mean, training camp is wrapping up. The final preseason game against the Patriots is coming up. So what have you thought about the Raiders and during this training camp with this new regime with Josh McDaniels? Well, the biggest question mark is still obviously the offensive line, specifically right tackle. Um, that's I'm frankly shocked that they didn't add any free agents to uh, to that line that was so terrible last season. They really didn't add any new faces, right? They drafted a couple, you know, mid to late rounders to help out, and we may get a new starter in Parnum. But it was uh, it was a big problem for the Raiders last season. They didn't do a whole lot, so I got to imagine Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler are just kind of thinking to themselves, the talent there, we just got to coach them up. Whether that's true or not. Who knows? But that could be the only thing that could I can imagine possibly slowing down this offense. I mean, you got a three-time Pro Bowler in Derek Carr, finding his stroke, um, both as a leader and as a quarterback. You got the best wide receiver in football now, Devontae Adams. You got Hunter Renfro uh, coming off his first Pro Bowl in the slot. Darren Waller, arguably the pass-catching tight end in all of football, and another really deep wide receiver core. Like Matt Collins is like a number two receiver on most uh, most NFL teams, and he might barely see any playing time just because of all the all the action they got, and plus uh, a really good running back core as well. So if that pass protection isn't a major issue, this could this could be a top-five offense. It should be at least a top-ten defense. And then Patrick Graham coming in, hopefully just having a little bit more strategic of a defensive coordinator will help this defense out, again, other than bringing in Chandler Jones. Not a lot, whole lot of new faces, but I'm thinking just kind of like that a little bit more of a strategic-minded defensive coach He's going to do a lot of good things for us. So the schedule's tough. The AFC West is a beast. A um, lot of travel, as always, playing off of the West Coast. But a lot of reason to be optimistic this season. A lot of reason to be optimistic. And I'm not going to hold you to it, but are you willing to give me a prediction right now on the win-loss record for the Raiders? Ooh. I keep, I keep wanting to – it's so dependent on that O-line. I, I think I, – I, Bill Barnwell is one of the guys I respect the most um, – on ESPN, and he wrote about five teams that should um, kind of fall back on their good record from this last season. The Raiders were one of them. And he gave all these reasons why close games, a lot of field goals. We played a lot of backup quarterbacks last season. We did go 10 and 7, make the playoffs, obviously. But I just can't imagine this passing unit not being elite. So I think I, I'm going to go 11 and 6, which is way above the over and maybe super optimistic, but we're. With all the stuff the Raiders went through last season, with John Gruden getting canned, Henry Ruggs getting arrested, uh, Waller being out for so long, we overcame all of that and still went 10-7. and seven. We can't possibly have that kind of bad luck again. Screw it. 11-6. and six. <laughs> 11 and 6 and I want to bring this to your attention because every time there's a Raiders media day if Chandler Jones or if Max Crosby speak they're going to be asked about the UFC Max Crosby said that he yeah. thinks he's the best MMA fighter on the team but he would fight anybody but Chandler Jones which NFL player do you think would make the best MMA fighter ooh uh, active now I don't know that's a good question I thought for sure Stephen Neal you know Olympic wrestler when he was with the Pats I thought for sure he'd be able to mop up anybody um, I don't know, probably Max Crosby. He does a lot of Raiders do some training. Like you've seen Darren Waller likes to hit nets, but he doesn't like to spar. Max isn't afraid to get to get dirty. And he's got that motor, right? And he's got that kind of like screw loose that you need from an MMA fighter. It's loose but in the right direction. I don't know. I think I think Max might be right. All right, and then since Chandler Jones, the Raider connection, when do you think the next time we see John Jones in the octagon is? Well, 
uh, Dana White keeps teasing that it's going to be John Jones, Stipe Miocic at the end of the year. So you've got that New York pay-per-view coming up in November and a T-Mobile event coming up in December. It, it should be one of those two. I don't see a reason why it can't be one of those two, considering they both sound like they're ready. They've both been out long enough, and Dana White keeps teasing it. So November or December, mark it down. All right, RJ, thank you so much for your time here today. I mean, you do Radio Series XM, TV, UFC, breakdowns of video game fights for Gameology and the Autumn Windback Podcast. What's next for you? What you got coming out that people need to be on the lookout for? A nap, after all the things you mentioned. That's, <laughs> uh, that, that's pretty much it. All those things. Check out the UFC weigh-in show. Uh, it's on YouTube before each pay-per-view of, of a role in there. And of course, here's XM Fight Nation. Check me out on MMA Today, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, and you can follow, find me on, uh, on Twitter where I'll, I'll post everything that I do, at RJ Clifford MMA. Thank you for your time, and thank you so much. This was great. Thank you for joining me on the fight game. Anytime. Thanks. All right, that was RJ Clifford joining me here on the fight game, a great breakdown of UFC 278 and a little Raider talk if you're into that. We're going to come back and wrap up the show here on the fight game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to the fight game. And we're back here on the fight game on 1230 the game. If you still want to be a part of the show, we got about a good we got under 10 minutes left in the show. But if you still want to be a part of the show, you can tweet at me at Damon underscore the boss. You can tweet at the station at 1230 the game if you want your thoughts heard here on the show. Now, something that I want to get into right before we leave. We pretty I've pretty much given you all your fix in combat sports today. Started off with WWE, surprise return after surprise return in the WWE. The heavyweight championship picture in boxing. There's nothing more prestigious. There's nothing more illustrious in combat sports to me than who is the heavyweight champion in boxing when all of the fighters are clicking at the, on the same cylinders where you have heavyweight competition. You have Anthony Joshua. Sam Gordon earlier today, he mentioned that he may not be that guy. You see his outburst in the ring after that fight where he's given a meandering promo. And Sam Gordon taught me something about maybe giving him a little grace, giving him that space to vent those frustrations because it's hard for a fighter to realize in real time you're not that guy. You're not the guy who you thought your career could be. We saw it with Tyson and, and Evander Holyfield where he, where he just basically bit his ear. And we all know how legendary that was when you have a guy biting another man's ear off. But sometimes you don't see it in something as outrageous as that. You see it in a guy as he just wants to tell the fans, tell him his life story, tell him that he didn't expect himself to be here and that he's proud of how far that he has come in the world of professional boxing. And then we talk to R.J. Clifford and we talk about maybe one of the best head kick knockouts in UFC history when you give us the time, the moment, every all the factors, the context. Was it the best looking head kick in UFC history? No, without a doubt. He saw one a few weeks ago. Man, we saw one a few weeks ago at the UFC Apex that was better placement, a nicer head kick. But Leon Edwards knocking out Kamaru Usman to win the welterweight championship of the world with a minute left in the fifth round. Just the context makes it one of the best knockouts in UFC history. But wait, there's more. Before we get out of here, I've got to talk about the drama in all elite wrestling. 
I know that sometimes, oh man, it's about the product that they give you on the screen. But sometimes the stuff that we do not see is even better. It's just as good. And that's what fans always want. That's why you have dirt sheets. Fightful Select. Hey, you got to subscribe to us to get this backstage story. You can watch the product for free every week, multiple hours. There's so much professional wrestling, but you've got to pay to see what's going on behind the scenes. And people do eat it up. And it's so intriguing. Last night, AEW Dynamite, John Moxley, CM Punk for the unified, the interim champ, John Moxley, taking on CM Punk, the heavyweight champion in all elite wrestling, the AEW championship on the line on a free episode of Dynamite. And it's a squash match. John Moxley mops the floor with CM Punk. CM Punk throws a head kick, re-injures his foot, and John Moxley takes advantage of it. And it's a glorified squash match for the AEW championship. And then that leads to the speculation, is CM Punk still hurt? But it's the backstage stuff. Maybe CM Punk is still hurt. Maybe this is the way to get the championship off of him and let him go home and heal up that foot. But last week, the promo for the bill with John Moxley, where he calls out Adam Hangman Page, the former AEW champion that he beat at Double or Nothing here in Vegas to win that championship. And he went off script. He starts his promo calling out the former champion, telling him to come out to the ring, and he calls him a coward. Not cowboy, coward. So when you've got somebody going off script, that's going to perk up the ears from people because we know about CM Punk, CM Punk's relationship with WWE. Hey, man. CM Punk doesn't want change. He just wants what's best for CM Punk. And a lot of those promos, they are coming to fruition. And it's becoming believable here. You see in AEW, hey, Cole Cabana taken off of TV. Maybe it's because the Dark Order is just not that big of a fixture anymore. Or maybe it's because CM Punk didn't want to be around Cole Cabana at all. These are two former best friends that are had the legal issues when CM Punk left WWE. And there's just so much going on backstage. But wait, there's more going on backstage in AEW. Eddie Kingston, Sammy Guevara, Eddie Kingston suspended from AEW, was supposed to have a match with Sammy Guevara on the all-out pay-per-view that's coming up. But apparently, he got into a fight with Sammy Guevara backstage, and he says, yes, he acted unprofessional. That's his official statement. Eddie Kingston, he acted unprofessional. What did he do? How big of a fight was this? I see why people want to know more. Give me a backstage fight rather than a good wrestling match in the ring if it's that good. I know that they, the storyline, their AEW has done a good job of turning the shoots, of making that work shoot believable. You have a shoot backstage, we're going to make it a work on TV. We're going to keep bleeding those storylines so you don't know what's real, you don't know what's fake. Kenny Omega comes back, gives a speech after his trios tag match last week. And he says, hey, we're not phonies, we're not fake. Kenny Omega and the elite, the Young Bucks, he's giving them, he wants to let the fans know that he's still giving them what he promised when they first started All Elite Wrestling. One of the big things that I think that people are seeing now, because we all knew that AEW was supposed to be the land of opportunity, it was supposed to be the alternative. And it's coming, it's becoming more of WWE, because as CM Punk said in his promo with John Moxley, you can be the heart and soul, I'll be the dollars and cents. And at the end of the day, it's a business and it comes down to dollars and cents. So something's got to give. We would all want AEW to be this haven for wrestlers that WWE wouldn't give a shot. But, but you see so many former WWE guys coming over. I mean, the main event, I don't know if it's going to be the main event, but the Ring of Honor Championship is going to be televised on AEW Rampage. 
and it's Claudio Castagnoli versus Dustin Rhodes. You got Goldust versus Cesaro. That's going to be the main event on an AEW television show. Where is the change? It is there. We're still waiting. When is MJF coming back? We don't know. Maybe that was a little speculated. Maybe they moved up the championship match because MJF is going to be coming back. I want to see more homegrown AEW talent in these spots, in these big time scenarios. Because the backstage drama is good. But now that WWE is up their game, I would love to see AEW match it. Because you can only claim and hang on to, hey, we're the alternative for so long when WWE is bringing back and signing guys who provide that alternative that you think that you're providing on their programming as well. That's just going to do it for us here on The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Damon Cotton. I want to give special thanks to Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review-Journal for joining me to talk about a little bit boxing, the heavyweight picture, and what's going to be going forward. I hope we get that unification, that undisputed heavyweight champion of the world title fight between Alexander Usyk and Tyson Fury. That's going to sell some tickets. Oh, my God, I want that to happen. And thank you to RJ Clifford from SiriusXM TV with the UFC. I mean, the guy does it all. Check out his podcast, The Autumn Windbags, as he talks about his favorite team, the Raiders. I've been your host, Damon Cotton. This has been another edition of The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and protect yourself at all times, everybody.